It's always a joy to be with you. Um, because of the, the pandemic, we haven't had an opportunity to get together as often as we normally would. I'm here at least twice a year, and last year was only once because we didn't meet for about six months. So I'm glad to be with you, and I appreciate your endurance, your steadfastness, your willingness to stick through this moment with the church um, and watch what will happen when God brings her out after having brought her through. Every time God brings people through and they comply, they always come out better than when they came in. Always. Now, if they don't comply, they might not come out at all. <laughs> the people of Israel didn't comply in the wilderness, and many of them didn't make it to the promised land. But when you comply, when you do the will of God in the middle, you find yourself in a better spot in the end than you did in the beginning. And I am so grateful for your pressing through because it has not been easy. Now, any trial through which we go doesn't ever need to be minimized by the, by the greatest difficulty through which humanity has already been and somehow make ours seem like nothing. Every trial through which you go is difficult. It's hard. There's sympathy from the presence of God through, through your, diff, your moment, and he, he doesn't just push it away simply because you don't feel physical nails going through your hands. But it does help us to put things in context so that we can evaluate that through which we're going well and not think the sky is falling when it's just rain. Are you with me? It's been worse. It's been worse. It's been so much, not just in America, but around the world. In fact, around the world, it's even worse than what people wish. In Nigeria, they had our version of the pandemic. They wish. My friend, um, Pastor Sam Ayegdeban, who pastor, started 26 churches in the past 35 years, and he pastors a church of 7,000 in Lagos, Nigeria. He and his wife, Grace, are some of my best friends in the world. I converse with them about every six weeks via Zoom, help them through their life. They help me through mine. We are tied together at the hip. They haven't met in 10 months. And they don't have, now, it, the, the, the general populace doesn't have these. So they can't give. That church hasn't taken an offering in 10 months. There aren't any, there aren't any vaccinations waiting to be put in people's arms in Nigeria. There's not a hope of it. At least not till 2022. They don't have the resources to pull them in. People get sick. They don't go to the hospital. There was a man who was a deacon in the church. He had a motorcycle accident on the road. Two months before I was there, he lost his leg. And I said, so tell me what happened. Um, like, how did you fell in the road and then did you, did the ambulance? He said, ambulance? What's an ambulance? You feeling me? It's bad, but there's worse. And I want us to have perspective so that when we go through stuff, we can praise him through the difficulty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Lord, I'm grateful that we can do this. Lord, I'm grateful I still have a house in which I can live. Lord, I'm grateful I can go out and put a mask on my face. I'm grateful, Lord, for my friends. I'm grateful for provision in the midst of it. Our church is still doing financially well, even though we shouldn't be. It's like manna from heaven. Lord, I am grateful to Almighty you for what you are doing for us so that I don't get so discouraged by the difficulty that I forget the wonderful God in the midst of it who has been with me the entire time. As Pastor Eddie said, my name is Brett, and I'm really, really glad to be here with you. Uh, Pastor Jim Critcher is preaching over in, excuse me, in Chantilly this morning, and he gets the first Sunday of every year as our prophet to be able to speak into the life of the church what God wants to do for the balance of the year. So I'm sure things are going well there now. But I'd like to wish you a very happy new year with a message today out of 3 John chapter 2. 3 John chapter 2. The title of the message is Health and Wealth, Understanding God's Heart for Us. Health and Wealth, Understanding God's Heart for Us. 3 John verse 2. John writes, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Lord, help us as we study your word. Three things on this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, the concentration of prayer. Two, the content of the prayer. And three, the context of the prayer. When I speak of health and wealth, those are two buzzwords in the body of Christ that really get people fired up. There's a whole lot of folks on one side that believe God wants you to have a lot of money and never get sick. That's what it means to them. That's what the gospel primarily on the planet is for, to save people and to bring them into the level of prosperity that is identified in the Old Testament, which has an abundance all the time and provides for you in health so that you are not just never sick, but you are always healthy. And that you don't go through things as, difficult, as dif difficultly as many people do. Uh, I don't think that that is consistent with the message of the gospel. It's not. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have provision. Nor does it mean that God doesn't want you to be healthy. Because generally speaking, people from a hospital bed have a very difficult time reaching their coworkers. It's just hard. It's just hard. Uh, you, you, you can't be there. And so when you are incapacitated, you don't have the strength necessary to do what needs to be done to provide for your family, to minister the gospel, to serve God in ways that you need to in order to serve the community. So God wants you not to experience undue difficulty in your body. And I don't know many people who are really in abject poverty that can give to anybody else because you can only give out of that which you have. So if you don't have it, you can't give it. That doesn't mean that God wants you to decide which yacht am I going to go on this weekend. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the provision is the way God, who is a loving father, desires to treat you. He wants to provide. And so out of that spirit, which is not one of excess, but one of love and care, John writes. And he says, first, beloved. John had this revelation of love. It's unusual. Out of all the Gospels, he is the only one that coined the phrase, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said it. 
He was talking to Nicodemus when he said it. But nobody else wrote it down in the other three Gospels. doesn't mean that they were wrong. It just means that each Gospel writer had an emphasis that God inspired them to concentrate upon. John's happened to be loved most of the time, as evidenced not only by this passage in, in John 3.16, but in the entire Gospel of John and then in his epistles in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. It's all about love all the time. It's contextualized within agape, which is the love that God has for us, the God kind of love. And here he starts off with beloved. And this is an apostolic prayer. Now, I'm not saying that that one prayer is more important than another. I just believe that people who are apostolic in their orientation seem to have a greater understanding of how to accurately communicate to God in such a way that he hears. And I want to pattern my life after how they prayed. When Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your understanding, verse 18, may be enlightened that you might know the hope of his calling you, meaning that you might understand why in the world he put you on the planet. What hope does he have for you? And that you might know the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints and the surpassing greatness of his power towards you. That is an apostolic prayer that I can understand theologically, can be rehearsed and reiterated by me so that I can pray it over my own congregation and believe that the same benefit was given to the Ephesians can be given to Chantilly and to Sterling. God hears that kind of prayer. And so when I look at John and I see what he's praying, I say, I'm going to pray that prayer over my people. I know God heard that prayer. Beloved, this man loved his people, and I want you to know your pastor loves you. He cares about you deeply, intercedes for you, cries out to God for you, loses sleep on your behalf. 90% of the time, most pastors are like this. They've been trained, they've been equipped, but they have no idea what to do because they are faced with circumstances that are brand new. Oh, it's not that I haven't seen stuff. I just haven't seen it at this intersection of my life. I'm coming to a new place in the river. This water hasn't flowed on my feet like this before. I've stepped in this spot before, but not in this river before. God help me. I'm confused. I do not have answers. I need your spirit to inspire me about what I should do, how I should respond, what I should say. And wow, what a year that we've been through to try to figure out what to do. Every week there was something. I'm just scratching my head on. Said, oh, God, I don't know what to say this week. I have no idea how to present to such. Listen, and there were pastors who had less complicated environments in which to minister. I'm not trying to amplify mine. I just know other pastors. They had an all-black congregation. And when they were ministering, they were ministering to people as black pastors who thought like them, only had their experience, and they had one thing to say upon which everybody agreed. That's not our world. That's That's not how we intentionally build. So I've got to think about how everybody thinks in my church. How in the world do I do what Paul did when he was writing to the churches that were not all Jewish, yet he was Jewish? And I mean, it wasn't, when you say Roman, that's like saying American. It doesn't mean you're European. You're American, you could be Asian, Latino, Arab, 
South African. You could be anything and be American. That's what it was in Rome. And so when Paul was writing to churches that were multi-ethnic, he was writing to people that spoke many different languages and came from many different cultures, trying to figure out how in the world can he get these people to be on the same page. It was hard. Peter, man, not so hard. Everybody in Jerusalem was pretty much Jewish. They all spoke the same language. They ate the same food. That was easier. Never easy, but easier. Paul complicated the impossible. I mean, it's always hard to pastor a church. It's never easy to lead a people because they all have an idea about how they ought to go and where they ought to go and how they ought to get there and when they ought to get there. Why? Because they got a Bible. They got a manual. They know how they need to be led. And they always give your opinions. And now we have created a society where it's very easy to do so with email and text. Opinions flow on Monday and Tuesday. They flow. Paul complicated the impossible by adding to the mix different ethnicities. <laughs> and this is why his letters sometimes are so long. Because he was trying to figure out how do I deal with the, with the sin that every church has. But the particular sin that this church has and that they don't get along because they are ethnically diverse. You got about two and a half chapters out of six in the book of Ephesians only dealing with this issue. We have so many things we had to deal with last year. My mind was just constantly overwhelmed. And I had to get in the presence of God and say, Lord, how do I love these people this week? How do I love them with your words? How do I give them perspective that helps them move forward? How? We don't know what we're doing 90% of the time. But God helps us so that we can present in such a way that, that aids you in your progress and brings all of us to a place of greener pasture than that from which we came. And you got a really good one. Pastor Eddie is really good. He's one of the better versions of not knowing what to do. We're all just men, women trying to figure out how we can keep ourselves together and how we can serve the church. That's all we are. John starts off with, beloved, I care about you. And the word there is exumai. Now, <clears throat> meaning, beloved, I pray for you. The word prayer is exumai. The word beloved is agapeto. So it's agape with eto at the end of it. And he's describing how he feels about them, not just that they are loved, but it personalizes it. When you put the suffix at the end of the word in the Greek, it personalizes it to say, this is how I feel about you. You're in my heart, and I want you to know that I pray for you like this. Now, when he uses the word exomai, he's not just saying, I perfunctorily pray for you like this. I, 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 I mention you in my regular prayer. That would be pro-exomai. Here he just uses exomai, which again leads to the, to the opinion that he's actually talking about how he feels about them when he prays. He's saying, I, I really am impassioned when I talk to God 
about you in this area. It's not rote. It's not because you happen to be on my list of prayer this given day. I pray with passion on these two issues. And it's important that we take our cue from this about how we ought to pray for one another. I don't know how your prayer life is structured. I hope you have a prayer life that, that, that needs to be structured. If you do, then I don't know how it's structured. Mine is, mine is pretty boring. On Sunday, I pray for the church and myself. On Monday, <clears throat> I pray for my family, all my kids, extended relatives. On Tuesday, I pray for the staff and everybody who's a part of Grace Covenant. On Wednesday, I pray for my every nation world and all the missionaries that we support. On Thursday, I pray for the Washington football team. Not that they would have victories, for their salvation. I'm the chaplain of the team. And so I'm believing for people to get saved over there, the entire organization, to be one to Christ. On Friday, I pray for my friends and my foes. On Saturday, I pray for my community and believe God that God is going to do something really special beyond us as a people. Now, that's so that I can hit everything with quality whenever I talk to God because I got a lot of stuff, as you can see, that I got to pray for. And I, if I try to pray for all those in one prayer moment, it's basically, Lord, bless my family. Lord, bless the church. Lord, bless the community. And in about 20 or 30 minutes, I've mentioned everything, but I haven't concentrated on anything. And so I choose to concentrate on certain things on certain days. That helps me. And in a given week, I've covered most of the things, if not everything, that's important for Brett to address. But in the midst of that, that regulative, regulative prayer, I find myself always inspired about something that's unusual. I'm open to, Lord, what is it that you'd like to concentrate on today? I mean, I've got my emphasis, but what's yours? I don't know what your regular prayer life looks like. But it ought to be that which can be interrupted with passion. Things that don't, don't regularly fit. And if you don't have a regular prayer life, I beg you develop one. Because you're missing out on wonderful opportunities for God to move through your life to benefit others. And you are missing out on growth that happens in prayer. Oh. I really don't have time, but I'm going to stay on this. If you have a regular prayer life, it puts you in contact with God on a, on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a rhythmic basis so that when you are not in his presence intentionally, by, by closing yourself, secluding yourself in a prayer closet, then when you are driving, when you are cooking, when you are at your cubicle at work, you are so in tune, you haven't released the tether. You are so in tune with him that he can speak to you and inspire you while you are working out and sweating at your heart rate at 160. I got some revelation on December 31st while I was breathing heavy that made me stop working out. It had nothing to do with a message. Had nothing to do with the ministry. Had everything to do with the Holy Spirit dealing on the inside of me and working my life out so I could still be more like him. I was so shocked I had to stop working out. Get on my face. Say, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you for not not just speak, not just relegating your words to me to being those which are in a prayer closet, but I can actually hear you in my daily activities as I go. I am not separate from you when I walk out from you. Now, I can't say that I'm a model prayer. I'm not. There are other people that are really much better. A friend of mine named Bob Perry, crazy prayer. Just, just, I don't even, I don't even get, he prays like four to six hours a day. <laughs> I mean, I look at him. I say, what are you saying? Oh, four to six hours. God gets tired of me talking after a little bit. I mean, he don't want to hear anything else I got to say. Oh, what, what are you doing for four to six? I just don't understand it. But he just keeps talking. And God keeps listening. And he keeps listening when he stops talking. That's an intercessor. I'm not that. But I am a communicator with God. And he tolerates my ramblings. And he hears my heart. And he changes me. Such that when I am praying for the church, the words that come out of my mouth are different than most. I spent so much time in his presence being concerned about the well-being of my people that there are very few who can talk to him about you, like me, save him. And when I say you, I'm talking about the total of who we are as Grace Covenant. Grace Covenant Latino, Grace Covenant Korean, Grace Covenant Downtown D.C., Grace Covenant Sterling, Grace Covenant Chantilly. But I only see you a couple of days a, a, a year. He sees you every week. This is how he prays. I know him. Cries out to God for you. Is there anybody that you love like that for whom you cry out to God on a regular basis? Is there anybody that you could write starting like, like John did? Beloved, I pray like this for you. He hasn't even talked about the content. He's just talked about the, 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 the context what it means for him to address God, how he addresses God before he ever gets to the content. Is there anybody? I realize we pray for our children, we pray for our spouses. Anybody outside of that? I beg you, develop a prayer life much like John. You don't have to be an apostle to develop a prayer life like an apostle. An apostle does things that are called according to his gift mix. But praying is not one of those things that is, that is relegated simply to an apostle. Then the context, he says, I want you to be in health and I want you to prosper. To put this in the right framework, you got to understand the people to whom he's writing. In the Middle East, health was a major issue during this time. People... And, and I've got some references if you want to look at them <clears throat> later. But the, the average lifespan of a human being was, they think, between 35 and 40. Now that was skewed because infant mortality rate was very high. So if you made it past infancy, good on you. But somewhere between 25 and 30% of the babies born died. It's horrible. 
And one of the most dangerous things a woman could do was give birth. 15% of the women died. Horrible. There were diseases. I read a journal where a woman went and looked at some of the more wealthy tombs. People were, people were of, of substance were buried, which was different than the people who didn't have and where they were buried. And they tried to see if there was a distinction between the health and well-being of the people who had and the people who had not. And they were able to tell by bone health, strength of bone, length. And they said basically there was no difference between the people who had resources and the people who did not, how disease affected them. That there were the, the, the infants uh, actually had problems in, in developing because the mothers didn't have the right nutrition and they were able to tell by the length of the long bones. So the femur, the tibia, forearm bone, and they were able to say that they were much shorter than any infants should be. And that speaks to the nutrition that they did not have coming from the mother. And these were in the wealthy tombs. So as John was praying this, people were saying, yes, somebody's concerned. <laughs> people didn't know if they were going to live past 40. And that's a, I just celebrated 60 two, two weeks ago. It's a given. I mean, if somebody dies at 40, you think, what happened? Drunk driver? What, what, what happened? It was normal for people to pass, just die. No accident, no difficulty out from, from, from external circumstances, just disease. And so he is, he's, he's praying a prayer that everybody wants to be prayed. Lord, please give them health. I don't know that in our generation that there is any more relevant and important prayer to pray concerning our well-being than health now. When this pandemic hit, a bunch of us fasted back in March, eight days, believing that our church would be covered and healthy. And the Lord has been very gracious to us, extremely gracious to us. And for that, I'm grateful. I do not attribute it to our faithfulness in prayer. It's only because of his grace that we did partner with him in the beginning. And as a result, we are experiencing phenomenal grace through this. It's not that nobody has gotten it. It's that nobody has died. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And there's somehow, somewhere between, I don't know, 7,000 people that call us home. And we haven't done one funeral for some member of our church in COVID. Nobody on my staff. I'm just so grateful. And so I want us to, to hold on to this just as John and the people to whom he was writing. And for whom he was praying, held on to it. I pray that you may be in health. Secondly, that you may prosper. I'm not trying to figure out how in the world you can get enough money to get your choice of yachts. But I do want you to prosper to the, to the degree that you can provide for your family. I want you to prosper to the degree where you've got enough where you can provide for other people's families.
I want you to prosper to the degree where you can do what is pure and undefiled religion, providing for widows and orphans. And if you are the one in need, you can't give to those who are. I want you to prosper like that. I want your business to go so well that you can sell it for $20 million and decide to double tithe on it. So that those who do not have from our orphanages all around the world, the 600 kids we care for, can have food and clothing and education and shelter. I want you to prosper like that. The reason God gives us resources is not so that we can just enjoy them for ourselves. It's so that we can bless the kingdom. Distribute. He says, seek first the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink. For your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll provide all these things to you. You seek first his kingdom, principles, what it means to be a good citizen in it, and doing the right things while you are there, being an excellent citizen of his kingdom, which, is, which means that you now become a distributor of resources, a manager of things in it. You're always trying to, to, to negotiate what is the best decision on behalf of people that you are seeking first his kingdom and his right doing in it. And then he will distribute all the stuff you need. Why? Because the stuff you need, he realizes you're going to use for his purposes. There are very few people who are solely focused on trying to figure out how they can utilize their resources for his kingdom, that he's trying to divert stuff from others to get it to you, so, or, or that person, so that the, the stuff that can be done best for his kingdom can be done. Everybody, for the most part of the world, is looking out for their own. They're trying to figure out how in the world they can get it for them and hold on to whatever they get. We are different. We have a mindset that says, I'm not trying to get for me. I'm trying to get for others. And in the process of getting for others, I'm provided for. God makes sure I get. And I do not give in order to get. I give because he gave. He was so good to me. And he's treated me better than I deserve. I want you to prosper like that. Because the needs of this world are massive. You understand, Pastor Eddie, as I close, you, and you all have given through Mobile Hope. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars have flowed through this house particularly. Hundreds of thousands of dollars from us as an entire people have flowed literally almost $600,000 we've given in the last 10 months to Mobile Hope and to Western Fairfax Christian Ministries and other ministries around to provide for people who don't have any food, don't have any shelter, don't have any shoes, don't have any clothes, don't have backpacks for schools. We have done that. No, 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 listen, I don't have time for you to clap, I appreciate it. But it's really important for you to understand that this is not a bragging moment. I'm talking about God is now helping us to provide for the needs of the community. And you know what's happening as a result of us being a river rather than a reservoir. He's continuing to provide more stuff. The more we give, the more he gives. And when many people, many organizations, sadly, have run out of resources, not us. 
It doesn't make any sense because all we are is garden variety humans. There's nothing special about us. We're common folk. But we've decided we're going to love our community more than we love us. And God says, oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. That scripture over in 2 Chronicles 69, his eyes search throughout the entire earth, looking for a man for whom he can show himself strong. My goal in leadership is to make his search short. Lord, you don't have to look much further than us. We're going to distribute. That's how I want you to prosper. Why? He says, I'll prosper and be in health. How? Even as your soul is prospering. So if your soul is prospering, if you find that the principles of provision are complete here, then you never have to be concerned about how you distribute. Because fear is not running your life. Insecurity is not guiding your actions. If your soul is healthy and prosperous, meaning that your relationship with God is full of security, your anchor is in him, your foundation is sure, you know that the world might go this way, that way. There may be winds that are pushing you all over the place, but you are moored in him. You have your anchor in him. You're solid. The world might fall apart, but not you. If you have your soul prospering in here, when everything else has fallen apart, you can be the one upon whom God can trust to be an anchor for everybody else financially, spiritually, educationally, maritally. You can bring life where there is death. You can bring provision where there is lack if your soul is healthy. There are a lot of people that have a lot of provision, but their soul is unhealthy, and so they're scared, and they hold on to everything they can. Their insecurity doesn't allow them to distribute. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about wisdom, understanding. When the fear of loss guides your life, you can't help anybody. And where does that fear of loss come from? Your soul isn't prospering. Your soul is prospering. You, even when you don't have when your cupboards seem bare, you can invite somebody in and say, you want to share this pea? You want to share this pea? I got, I got one little pea. We can cut it up and divide it. You get half, I get half. Why? Because you're prospering in here. You know what your God is going to do for you. Your provision is not seen in that pea. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if y'all are getting this. This is how John is praying. This is how he wants you to be provided for, on the basis of here and then out here. So, as I close, it's one of the best ways I can say, may your new year be like this. May it be different like this. May you prosper like this. May you be in health like this. Health, again, overall, not just physically. Down. May you find presence of God to be your friend, even in the midst of, 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 of material lack. May you find health and prosperity like this in 2021 so that everybody else around you 
will be able to tell that you're different. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace and power, all of us, to serve you well and to honor you and love you. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Or maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be, and you want to make a change today. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand high. I'd like to pray for you. Anybody in here at all? All right, if you're online and you realize, boy, I'm really not living right. I need to make, I need to make a change. I need to make a shift. I want you to acknowledge that by praying with me and saying, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I'm sorry for everything that I've done wrong. And I choose to turn away from everything that I know is sin. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer online, there's a little box at the bottom of the chat. Check that. It says, I raised my hand. And then another box will appear, and that will be somebody who can then contact you to, to help you make sure that you are successful in completing the decision that you made by living right. Check that box and somebody will contact you. Also, if you need any prayer, go to the top of the chat, check it, and somebody will contact you so that they can pray with you about the most important issues in your life. Happy New Year, church. I'm so proud of the way you've lived your life this year. Proud of the way that you've endured. And we've got a little bit further to go before we get back to whatever normal is supposed to be and hopefully a much better version of normal. My sense is that we're all, at least we all, should be better when we come through this, and we should be larger. I'm convinced that God is in the process of working in ways that we do not see to bring people to us that we cannot reach. And when we meet and convene again in full, that you might have to go to two services in this auditorium. That's a good thing. Hang in here just a little bit longer. The Lord is moving. He hadn't stopped. He's not been knocked off the throne. Good things are in store for you. Hang in here. Let's progress together. Bless you. Happy New Year.